Hello, and welcome to episode 129 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the merrily. This week we're going to be talking about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, on your Not In Front of the Klingons podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vose. We've got to come up with anything this week. We did. Um, do do you want to leave it like that, especially since yes. you had that? Yes. Okay, we'll leave it. Yes, I do. I'm Matthew Vose, and I just got to record about the Arrowverse crossover. Hey, talking of which, our Arrowverse show is back. <laughs> <laughs> when is that show starting? Um, it is currently, it should be starting uh, 26th of August. Okay. So this episode is out just after that. Um, hopefully, if my timing has worked out correctly. Uh, Catherine and I weren't able to watch uh, The Arrowverse as it happened last season. So the 2018-2019 seasons, we are watching in chunks. It's probably the best way to describe it. Um, we did an episode on the first eight episodes of Supergirl. We did an eight episode on the first eight episodes of Legends. And the same for The Flash. And then we've just done one on the crossover as a whole piece. And then we're going to go back into them and do, like, here's the middle section of Supergirl. Here's the end section of Supergirl, that kind of thing. Oh, that sounds great. Um, it's actually quite a nice way to do it because we're not having to pay attention to the filler. Right. <laughs> of which, you know, American seasons do have a lot of filler. Yes. So, uh, certainly to our eyes. And we can ignore some of the, the, the less good bits and relish the, the bits we enjoy. Which I'm assuming for Catherine is most of Arrow. Yeah, so we're not doing Arrow. <laughs> oh. We kind of are. So I'm watching Arrow. Um, let's see if I can break this down easily. We did the first eight episodes of Supergirl, and I told Catherine about the first three episodes of Arrow. Okay. We did the first eight episodes of Legends. I told Catherine about episodes four through six of Arrow. Okay. We did the first eight episodes of The Flash. I told Catherine about episodes seven and eight of Arrow. Mm-hmm. That makes so sense. So I'm sort of keeping her up to date on it, but I'm the only one who's having to watch it. Right. Um, and we'll see where it comes to because it's oh, it's got a hint, particularly from the crossover, of some interesting stuff coming. So we don't want to just drop it from the schedule. Well, yeah, especially um, since next season's the final season. Exactly. But she she has much less time for watching stuff than I do. So. Okay. Well, it sounds great, and I can't wait to listen. Except I'm going to have to start watching that season because I haven't done that yet either. Who yeah, has you, time? <laughs> you need to get back into Legends. Yeah. I will. I will. I'm, Legends I'm, is your show now. I'm still trying to finish last season of Supernatural. Okay. Um, and when I finish that, I'm immediately going to jump into Supergirl. Um, okay. So I'll get there. They're all on Netflix over here now, so I can do nice. it. Um, right. But I'm also trying to work in watching DS9. So, mm. like, there's just so much stuff to watch. Yes. Yeah, Supergirl has taken over the serious mantle a bit. Mm. Um, the Flash is the big world canon one and legends is now just fun awesome all, all the problems we've had for legends for the first three seasons they fixed in whatever this is season four awesome well i yeah. can't wait to hear all about it 
Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're yes. here to talk about Star Trek V. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you why you didn't see it because we're just continuing to work through them. We've done the the first four films. Mm-hmm. If people want to go back and check out them, so this is us taking on the next in the series. We haven't got a guess for this one because we didn't want to inflict it on anyone. <laughs> I understand that now. Yep. Um, I do want to ask you if you've seen the documentary Free Solo. No, I hadn't even heard of it. When I saw you ask the question in the outline, I had to look it up. And okay. apparently it's a documentary about mountain climbing. Yeah, so um, it was a chap. Oh, I really should have written his name down, shouldn't I? Let's let's look it up so that I can. Because you should give people credit when they're, you know, doing impressive things. Honestly, I saw the title of it and thought it was related to Star Wars because yeah. Solo. And yeah. then I was like, um, oh, it's a documentary. <laughs> It's a documentary about the rock climber Alex Honnold, um, who attempted a free solo climb of El Capitan in 2017. And this was the documentary about his attempt. Oh, um, that's the same mountain Kirk was climbing. Exactly. It is. It is. Uh, and free solo is on your own, no ropes, no grips, or no, like, you know, things in the mountain. It is just you and your hands and your feet. Um, so it is exactly what we see Kirk doing. Okay. Um, so like there's always that nice link there is a youtube video that i'm going to link to in the show notes which is alex watching films with mountain climbing and talking about how good they are or how bad they are so like he watches mission impossible 2 he watches um cliffhanger and some other films that i now can't remember but he also watches star trek 5 and he talks about like oh yeah that's an el capitan i've done this oh yeah that he's starting his climb the same place i started my climb no, now this is a set and this is just poured concrete. And he's talking about the sort of techniques he's doing mm-hmm. and, and basically saying, yeah, this is bang on. I think Star Trek V is pretty legit, pretty realistic, particularly for having been made 30 years ago or whenever it was. It's the original El Cap free solo. So James T. Kirk is a mountain climber. Yeah. It's, interesting. It, 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 it's quite an interesting thing. Like, it, it was funny anyway to go, oh, someone has now done this thing. And Spock has the line of, like, the record for free climbing El Capitan is in no danger of being broken. Right. At that point, no one had ever done it. And oh. now they have. It's quite cool. And it, so I think it won the documentary for, um, not won the documentary, it won the Oscar for Best uh, Documentary. Okay. At last year's Academy Awards. And it is actually really good. It it is it is cinematic and it's you know showing these vistas and him climbing being so small, three thousand feet up. Very cool. Mm. So as that was a quick aside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will tell you a bit about the film. Star Trek V: The Final Frontier is a 1989 science fiction film directed by William Shatner and adds Lawrence Luckenbill alongside our regular cast. The film was significantly less successful than Star Trek IV. It grossed $70 million against a $30 million budget. Critics were unimpressed by the film, with Roger Ebert calling it a mess. Although there was praise for the humour and for Lawrence Luckenbill's performance. Hmm. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Dubious Mandy is dubious. Yes, yes. (laughs) Alright, if you haven't seen this one, and hopefully you haven't and you never will... Um, this one is about Cybok, who is Spock's half-brother, commandeering the Enterprise so that he can seek God. God. Yeah. That's such a weird premise for a Star Trek film. A little bit. Well, how were you able to watch this one? Uh, Joseph owns all of these, so I did not have to spend money on it. Okay. Is is it available on any streaming services? 
it's uh, over here it is on Sky Cinema, but because of the split in the companies, um, the Star Trek series from CBS are on Netflix, the Star Trek movies from Paramount are on Sky. I don't know if it's the same over there. You can rent them on Amazon. Okay. And you can rent them on Vudu. Okay. It looks like you can actually watch it on Crackle, which is Sony's streaming service, but it's and it's free. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know mm. that. Um, you can also there's like a, a Roku app for Crackle, and it's free. So if you do want to subject yourself to this, you can watch it for free, okay. which is the only way I recommend anybody watch it. <laughs> Absolutely, I have not owned three or four copies of this over the over the years. Well, but you're a Trekkie, so. The, the first time I can remember watching this, I'm sure I had already seen it, but I remember renting it with my nan and granddad uh, when I went to stay with them when I was, when did this come out, 89, so probably 10, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being very confused with like, hey, this is the next generation music, not the original series music. And not realizing it was it was written for the original series, for the movies. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um. Okay. The only person added really to the cast is Lawrence Luckenbill. Any knowledge of him? Absolutely not. I looked him up and nothing. Nope. Um, I wouldn't even have, have called it out, except I found something doing some research on this. He is married to Lucy Arnaz. Mm-hmm. Does that mean anything to you? Well, the daughter uh, of Lucy and Desi. Yes. So she is Lucille Ball's daughter. And Lucille Ball is the reason we have Star Trek. Yes. That is true. I had forgotten about that connection. So that's quite a nice, like, link. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting, though, because that's not why Lawrence Luckbill, Luck and Bill, however you say his name, like, he didn't get this job because of that connection. He got this mm. job because William Shatner couldn't get Sean Connery, and <laughs> he just happened to see Lawrence on TV and was like, he's really good, and yeah. got him to come in and do this. Yeah, I, I found an interview with him, and and. Someone said, you know, did you ever speak to Lucille Ball about Star Trek? He was like, no, she never spoke about work. So I was not aware of the connection until after the film came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, How do we ask this? Did you enjoy Star Trek V? (laughs) Um, Shockingly to no one, I absolutely did not enjoy this movie. Um, I think it's hilarious. We were looking back at kind of how I felt about the first four movies and came across a line from Roger Ebert's review of four. And he said, this is easily the most absurd of the Star Trek movies. And all I have to say is not anymore. (laughs) Absolutely not anymore. But this one, I agree with him. It's a hot mess. And there was nothing about it that was enjoyable to me. It was so painful to sit through. So uh, we talked when we did Galaxy Quest or one of the Star Trek films, one of the others, about how there was this um, ranking of Star Trek films by convention goers a few years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Trekkie convention goers. Can I find what? Um, the oh, oh, Star Trek Las Vegas. There we go. And they ranked Galaxy Quest number seven. <laughs> so the, the middling uh, Star Trek film. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is the second worst Star Trek film, according to that list. Is the worst one Nemesis? No, it's Into Darkness, it, oh. which, is, which is the worst Star Trek film. Into Darkness is a bad film. It is, it is actively disgraceful how bad it is. 
this one and the point here does it the article about it does say while the final frontier is almost literally unwatchable it's at least original Star Trek Into the Darkness is a bad movie made badly that is also bad Star Trek and worst of all achieved rehash of better things oh okay I've so, only seen Into Darkness once so I don't, don't really remember yeah. it. I at that point I was still just enamored by the idea of the reboot and the new cast mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't as well versed in the storylines that it was rebooting so to me it didn't feel unoriginal no, fair. I think. is that the one that had Khan in it yeah Okay, I did, actually, no, now that we've done calm. these... We're not going to... <laughs> <laughs> I need to rewatch it, because now that I've done these and I've seen the original con, go back and see what the reboot did to it, and then maybe I will understand why everybody hates it. Well, I think maybe we do a one episode on the three uh, reboot films, the Kelvin trilogy. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Maybe we'll do that. Okay. So this is a bad film. It's a bad Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you defend it at all? Can you talk about... Because uh, they released this. Someone, Shatner, wrote it, filmed it, edited it, released it. <laughs> it's been on DVD. It's been in cinemas. It's, it's you know, it is, it is part of the canon. Mm-hmm. How could they release a bad film? Is there anything in here that's defensible? The sets and the costumes were beautiful. Mm. That's really about all I can give it. I mean, I was reading through some stuff that other people have written about it, and I I didn't remember who said what or, or linked to them or anything. It's just a, a vague idea. The people who defended this movie tended to defend it solely because of the relationship between Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. Okay. And that's exactly the reason why I've defended, like, that's why I defended the third movie. Everybody says the third movie is terrible. And I said, no, it's not because it's got this relationship going on. Yeah, the third um, movie's not terrible. But that relationship did not salvage this movie for me because the focus wasn't on that relationship. I mean, they were no. all in the movie together. Um, and I <laughs> they think <were> they, <laughs> yeah, they were there. I think they tried to do something mm-hmm. towards the relationship, especially at the end when like Spock and Kirk weren't successfully whammied by Cybok and McCoy decided to stay behind too. Like, I feel like that was them trying to bring that relationship back to the forefront. It just was not successful. Yeah. I, I, I think he wants it to be part of this. I think the campfire sequence at the beginning. And and the bookend at the end, campfire mm-hmm. sequence. Um, he's talking about them being friends and not having family, and you know the, the, the bit that McCoy talks about. You know, we we spend all that time together. We might as well kill each other, and then we go on holiday together. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an exchange at the end where Kirk comes up to McCoy and Spock, and he says, "You know, celestial thinking. What, what you know, they're 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 thinking and talking about God." Cosmic thoughts. Cosmic thoughts, gentlemen. Cosmic thoughts. Thank you very much. Um, and he says, you know, I lost a... Spock talks about losing his brother. Kirk says... I lost a brother once. I was lucky I got him back. Yeah. Talking directly to what happened in the, the mm-hmm. trilogy. I thought you said men like us don't have family. Now, 
you you've talked about the ending of a film tells you what a film is about and that is pretty much the last exchange in the film you get that campfire bit of them singing row 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 your boat again <laughs> around the campfire yeah um Row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. I love row. Do you, do you know row, 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 row your boat? That song did not come up in my research, Captain. But that's just a sort of happy because you can't end it on the nice moment and thing. But that is pretty much the, them saying this is what we've learned. We've learned we are brothers. We we are each other's family. Which for you, that family of choice thing is absolutely what you go to. It is. But see, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's what William Shatner wanted this movie to be about. That is yep. not what this movie was about. Exactly. <laughs> this movie was really not about anything. Like, Ooh. it was boring. Nothing happened. And then when things did happen, they didn't make sense. Yeah. And then we get the nice sentimental bits thrown in. I, I think, and this is where I will defend it. I think it's got the kernel of several good ideas in here, which is problematic. You should have You should have one or two good ideas in your film. And you should do them to the best of the potential. This has got several, so you'd need to throw some of them out. If it was doing something like The Search for Spock about the triumvirate, um, it would work. But it never lampshades them. It never tells us this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favourites, so I'm, I'm going to pull from the favourites list here, is Spock talking to the Klingon commander and trying to get the Klingon ambassador to help him save Kirk. General, I am in need of your assistance. My assistance. You are his superior officer. I am a foolish old man. Damn you, sir. You will try. Now that is Spock going, we need to save my best friend, my brother. Mm -hmm. He is in danger here. He has in some ways sacrificed himself for us to get us out first. So we now need to save him. Spock doing what he always does, trying to save his friend. But it just feels like an obligation. It doesn't feel like... We're seeing an insight into Spock there at that moment. Right. And it's a real shame because it would work if we were like, oh, he's doing it because he loves him. Let's go back to our slash fiction because it's lovely. (laughs) You know. Yeah. If this movie had decided to actually focus on that relationship and Mm. show us the events within the context of that relationship, it would have been much better. But they didn't do that. Like, I don't actually know how they could have done that. I just, I'm having this thought of if we could have seen how Spock having a brother impacted Spock and how that relationship impacted the relationship between Kirk and Spock, because that's more of a brotherly relationship than Cybok and Spock ever had. So let's compare and contrast Mm. those two things. But they didn't do that. We just found yeah. out, oh, yeah, he's my brother. You don't have a brother. Yeah, I do. I just, you know, we lost touch, you know, and then that's it. We move on to other things. Mm. Like, there was no reason for me to care. There was nothing for me to be invest. There was nothing for me to be invested in. No. Yeah, you're right. They could do a really interesting thing about the jealousy, about that being the first fraternal relationship and Spock going back to that or mm-hmm. Cybok not understanding the relationship now or even them finding common ground in emotion because Spock has learned to grasp his human side more. You, know, the, you get Spock at the beginning rocking up on rocket boots. I do not think you realise the gravity of your situation. Spock's making a joke there. It's not like he's using that word improperly or something. Right. 
he's setting Kirk up for a joke. Uh, yeah. And, uh, as you do. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's another thing that they didn't do that could have been nice. Yeah, I think the other thing that I think bothers me about this is the inconsistent portrayals of Vulcans. Because the only Vulcans we really get in this movie are Cybok and Spock, right? Yeah. And yeah. Cybok is shown to be passionate and emotion, full of emotions and kind of unhinged. Like, he is not a proper Vulcan, right? Mm. And, yeah. and Spock even comments on that a few times. But we've also got Spock, who we've seen fighting against his human side, trying mm-hmm. to not be emotion, like, full of emotions, but we get him with lines like, damn you, you will try, even though the delivery of that line is not really full of passion. No. You know, and so they could have done something with that as well, instead of just kind of dropping in a few lines and hints. They didn't explore it, and that could have been something interesting to explore. Yeah, completely agree. It would have been nice to have had more, but more within the universe that they've already established. Mm -hmm. This does not do much with the universe it's already established. This wants to introduce new things, new elements. This wants to stand on its own, which I I, I feel might be Shatner trying to, you know, go over and above what's come before. Let's start well. So let's talk about what we do get. What we do get is something about Spock's half-brother being a kind of televangelist <laughs> who wants to, you know, show that God is real. And then it turns out God isn't real, but maybe is in the human heart. Maybe he's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's right here. Human heart. Not the Vulcan heart, the human heart. Um, <laughs> what, were you aware going in that this was Spock's brother? Yes and no. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I had no idea. But then I read the synopsis of the movie before I watched it. Because when you okay. pull it up on Plex, it tells you what it's about. And it immediately it immediately says Spock's half-brother. And I was like, oh. Oh, Mandy. And then I was like, I, I didn't even know. Because then I was even trying to think about it in the context of Discovery, where we're introduced mm. to his adopted sister, Michael. And I don't recall, at least through season one, which is where I'm at in that, I don't recall them ever mentioning any other siblings. No. And so to me, this felt completely out of left field. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Cybok is, I think, supposed to be somewhat older. Mm -hmm. So I think they can get away with that. But it is also a shame because it would introduce him into the canon better. And there is some stuff you can do about someone who grasps more emotion. Right. But there is also a thing of, I, I think, in the books sort of side of things he's gone off with his mother he didn't stay with sarek i thought his mother died i can't remember what it said i thought that's what spock said was that after it was his father's first wife she was a vulcan priestess or something Mm. and after she died they were raised as brothers uh i can't remember to be honest with you i raised it from my mind that's fair but yeah it, it is a shame they didn't use it in discovery it's a shame that, you know, Michael was an invention for that as well, that they didn't bring things in. But what we get here is this, and and Shatner himself has directly said it, it was televangelist that got me thinking in this way. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like some of what he's doing. He's saying there is this area of the galaxy that we cannot get to, and that is where God is. And I have seen a vision of it. I have been told by powers on high that that is where we must go, and we need the newest ship in the Starfleet to get there. I mean, he's not actually saying any of that. 
because he just wanted a ship. He didn't care what the ship was. And he only mentions that vision, like, once. You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. But if we do, will that convince you that my vision was true? Your vision? Given to me by God. He waits for us on the other side. You are a man. When they're in that weird sort of galley area that they seem to spend a lot of time in. With the ship's wheel. Exactly. <laughs> Which is a new set. I'm not sure what that room is for. They have a cocktail party there at the end, so cool. Um, it also has a really neat plaque that says to boldly go where no man has gone before. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, I think that's pure fan service. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So it, he makes comment there about, you know, God show me in, in, in a vision. But we needed that a lot earlier to explain quite why he was doing this and had these beliefs. Yeah, I think so. I think we needed we needed more about Cybok in general because I still don't understand what his abilities were. Like, what was he doing to people? Even though they did show us the vision that he gave to Spock and to McCoy, mm. it still doesn't make sense how he supposedly took their pain away. How did he suddenly make them so loyal to him? Like... What was he doing and how was he doing that? Is it like some crazy mutation of a Vulcan mind meld? Like what is happening? Yeah, that's always been my headcanon for it. I think they're trying to do the, if we don't explain it, people will just accept it. Mm. But there's so, I mean, there is so much here to question. This is the problem. There is clunky dialogue and not great effects and whole sequences that aren't necessarily or a bit weird or jokes that don't land. But then there's big picture stuff that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. There's so much to dig into about the whole thing. Did did the whole searching for God religion aspect of it? Did any of that speak to you with a background from a you know with your religious background? I'm saying that obviously in inverted commas. <laughs> um, no, honestly, because I was so frustrated with the movie at that point that it didn't okay. it 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 wasn't something that I felt. I should be relating to or like I was so far removed from it there was no way I could find it relatable if that makes sense and even when they're setting up the like the the beginning where they're setting up this idea of searching for God it was just okay that's Star Trek (laughs) well no actually I was thinking okay that's not Star Trek like I, I feel like wasn't Gene Roddenberry like very adamantly anti-religion in star trek like star trek was supposed to exist in a universe where like people had transcended that idea or something am i making that up yeah he said that at times but then he also wrote star trek one which has a whole god thing in it fair enough (laughs) i guess just with my more recent experiences with star trek it felt very out of place because i you know i've watched tng and i've watched voyager now i'm going through ds9 and religion is just not something that ever comes up Oh, interesting. Even though you're watching DS9 right now. Okay, religion does come up with the Bajorans. Mm. Because they believe in the the prophet and the orbs and all that stuff. So that's fair. I guess I guess I headcanon in a way as like Starfleet doesn't have religion, but aliens might. Which I yeah. guess is exactly what this movie is doing. So it it should fit right in. It just for it to be the driving force behind the plot just felt out of place to me and maybe it's just because they didn't do it well yeah it felt forced absolutely because and they don't give us that explanation of he's had a vision he is in touch with a creature that is calling itself god 
Because mm-hmm. that, in some ways, is what the denouement is. And I think, again, it's been written in the books that it was actually put there by the Q continuum, that it is a malevolent entity that has been trapped inside the... Is it Galactic Barrier? Galactic Barrier. Um, yeah, well, see, that would have been nice, too, if they had given us an explanation of who he was. We know he was imprisoned, but we don't know why or how. Like, yeah. those are all things that should have been explained. Instead, they just, like, hand-waved it all. Yeah, for it to be a creature that survived the photon torpedo shot, but then got taken out by the Klingon phasers, laser blaster, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. That right. doesn't work for me. And and yeah, it just needed to be a thing. And, and I think there is even a line of, I've been trapped here, mm-hmm. and I need your starship to get out, but... You need to give it a little bit more focus, something to go, ah, and we understand it, or or one character to then explain it to another. The bit where it loses me, so this is, the first two thirds I will probably defend. Again, they could improve lots of it, they could bring in lots of better characterization, but by and large, it's quite a nice setup. This televangelist madman has taken over the Enterprise through mystical telepathic mind meld stuff, and they are trying to get out and rescue it, but in the end they can't, and he does take them into the Galactic Barrier. The Galactic Barrier, they have spent half the film saying, no ship has ever survived the Galactic Barrier. It's terrible. We're going to be destroyed. There's no way we can go in there. And they just go through, and it's a kind of tie-dye screen. Mm -hmm. And then they're through. There's not even like a, it's tearing apart the ship. Yeah, there's like no turbulence even. It's just smooth sailing. Change the polarity on the windscreen wipers. Quick, we need to get through and... (laughs) There's just, just like, at least give us that. Like, it is the exceptionalism of this crew and this ship that gets us through. Right. But then the Klingon bird of prey, this tiny little frail thing, gets through as well. So mm-hmm. what do they mean no ship's ever made it through? Maybe they all just see it and are, like, scared of it. And they're like, oh, we can't possibly go through that, so we're not even going to try. <sighs> it's just bad. It is. Like, that. that is an act of bad decision. And it, and it reminds me of the thing I always say about, like, Batman versus Superman which also has a good two-thirds build-up, and then suddenly you have Batman and Superman fighting where Superman doesn't need to fight Batman. He can just hover above him and explain the situation and we move on. (laughs) But because they want that thing, they want the, oh no, it's terrible, let's force this thing to happen that we've been setting up. Right. And then they'd be on, no, so they fly a shuttle down to the planet. They've got energy readings. They park their shuttle what seems to be like a mile or so away. Because they have to climb over some cliffs and rocks and and eventually get there to a ring of stone. And then you get the Judeo-Christian god bit. Mm-hmm. There's so much that could be done. There is so much that you could turn it into an interesting thing that it is a creature who, because of the strong uh, telepathic mind meld thing, is able to contact Cybok as the most, you know strongest psychic in the universe. And that's how he's been able to link with him or something. Give us something and then make... Cyborg, the embodiment of the creature, and they have to kill Cyborg. Mm, yeah. They could have done everything better, different. Mm. I think I agree with you that it does have, it has some very small good bones about yeah. it, but very, very small. And so I think, like, you always ask me, well, what would you do to fix it? Right. And I think, mm-hmm. honestly, my honest answer for that is I would go back in time and not make this movie. Even listening to you defend it, like, I haven't changed my mind on that because I think that an entirely different movie could have been made, should have been made, with the setup that they were trying to give us. 
And it would have been an entirely different movie. And so I I don't think this movie can be fixed, but I think a similarly based movie could have done very, very well. Uh, Yeah, I I don't think when we always talk about this, we can take apart a couple of scenes or or thread something through to make it better. I think you need to disassemble this and remake it. Yes. I still think there's an idea here. You know, some madman who is in search of God takes over the Enterprise with his psychic powers, which is unusual in the Star Trek universe. And then there's a whole alien thing at the end, but it needs so much more and so much better than we get here. Right. I mean, because honestly, like the climax should have been between Cybok and Kirk and not the fake god creature. Like the fake god creature is interesting and should have still been there. Great. But they defeated it so easily that there needed to be something else. And instead, what happened is Kirk backs down. Like, I mean... He was put in the brig of his own ship, and then he breaks out, and he doesn't get the whammy put on him. Like, it doesn't work on him. And suddenly, he's friends with Cybok, and he's like, oh, well, we got through the Great Barrier, so you were right, and suddenly, we're friends? About the ship. The ship needs its captain. No special conditions? No conditions. What makes you think I won't turn us around? Because you two must know. Well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it by the book. Mr. Chekhov, you take the comms to Sulu, standard orbital approach. Uhura, I'll let the shuttlecraft to stand by. Cybok, Spock, Dr. McCoy, come with me. The rest of you remain on board until I've determined what it is we're dealing with. Well, don't just stand there. God's a busy man. Like, Cybok gets mad when the creature hurts Kirk because why did you do that to my friends? They're not your friends. You kidnapped them. <laughs> like, there was no development for that. It just was suddenly, I don't know, freaking Stockholm Syndrome. But there wasn't <laughs> enough time for that. It just all needed to be done differently. Even even that, like I say, there's big picture stuff and there's small picture stuff. Does that mean they weren't actually locked in the galley? Does that mean they were able to just go up and join them on the bridge once they were through the Great Barrier? Or is like, does we just need a line of someone saying, oh, unlock their room and ask them to join us or something? But we don't even get that. So there are plot holes directly in it. I I, I quite like, I, I, I think I will argue this point, I quite like that they are then, well, we're here and we're explorers. So if we're going to do this, let's do this thing. Maybe they shouldn't have taken Cyborg, but at the same time, he's a different villain than I think we've seen at all in Star Trek, because he's not a villain. He is doing bad and evil and wrong things, but he's also not doing, I want to kill you for the sake of killing you, like the Klingons are like Khan. Okay, but none of the villains in any of the movies have been actual villains except for Khan. We had V'ger, we had the whale probe. You know, we we didn't have... Okay, we had Klingon Doc Brown and we had Khan. Yeah. So we we and we got and we got the Klingon in this as well. Yeah, but he was talked down so easily that he's mm. not even he doesn't come across as villainous to me. It just took one superior officer to tell him you're not allowed to do that for him to back down, which we don't even get to see exactly. And then we see Klingons hanging around at a cocktail party. Mm. <laughs> really? Anyway, um, I I quite like that the, they've tried to go for a different villain. For me, that. I think works better because otherwise you end up either trying to write a Khan or a Krug. One side of it. Um, 
because that's how villains are typically written. But does the movie think Cyborg is a villain? I think the movie thinks the alien was the villain. Hmm. I don't know. I think you're right. Yes, it wants to, because even that would be a good ending. That would that would be the thing of like, oh, he's actually, he's been controlled in the same way he's controlling other people. Perhaps we the opening is even, we see a Vulcan studying and this alien appears to him and takes his pain away. And, and you know we see him building up towards this thing or something but here's an idea mm. Go on. slightly unrelated to the current conversation but do you think that the alien creatures telepathy was boosting cybox and it's because of the alien that he could do what he was doing yeah with getting people on his side that could have been Maybe. interesting if they had explored that Perhaps, perhaps even in researching it, whilst they're on the run, they managed to get into the archives and, and get the Vulcan CCTV <laughs> security footage. And they see this alien appearing to Cyborg, doing to Cyborg exactly what he's doing to everyone else. Right. Something. Yeah. You know, there are. Uh, uh, that feels like a story I've seen elsewhere and I can't think of what. But See, that, but that would have made his redemption, quote unquote, redemption more compelling. Yeah. Um, and more impactful. You know, I, I think that because they did have him sacrifice himself, they weren't using him as the primary villain um, for him to immediately bond with Kirk and say, oh, you're my friend. And, you know, to still be kind of brotherly with Spock. They were just confused about what they were trying to do. Yeah, that's that's all I got. And, and it's really funny because the friend thing is also a thing that annoys me about Bat- Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> that Batman goes to save Superman's mum, and when he saves her, he's like, I'm a friend of your son's. It's okay. I'm a friend of your son's. I figured. The cape? Like, no, no. At this point, the only thing between you is that your mums both have the same name. Right. So you're not friends. Come on. <laughs> right, yeah. I remember that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd need to take this apart. Let uh, William Shatner. Directed this. He directed a couple of episodes of T.J. Hooker before this. Okay, I was wondering if this was his directorial debut. Uh, for from a film, yes. Okay, and I think since this, he's done certainly a couple of documentaries because he's done documentaries about Star Trek. I'll tell you a story about one in a, in a minute. But what did you think of the direction of William Shatner? Honestly, I didn't really pay that much attention to it because. Okay. The story was just so bad, which unfortunately okay. <laughs> partially came from Shatner, too. Um, yeah. I did notice the special effects in this were so much worse than they've been in previous movies. Like, we've talked about bad special effects before, but we've always been able to pull out great practical effects and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was none of that in this. This was just bad. Yeah. And I I found he did an interview with EW a few years back, and he talked about this. And he said, I got the chance to direct a several million dollar movie, Star Trek V, and I did not get the help I needed in allocating my budget. So when it came to shooting the ending, needing a good villain and lots of computer graphics, I had run out of money. Sorry about that. I had to use footage that I had already shot and spit on it a lot. I wanted to give the audience earth-breaking granite monsters spewing rocks and fire. Instead, I had a few pebbles in my hand that I threw at the camera. So even he yep. acknowledges that the movie is not his vision. Like, he wanted yeah. to do more. Um, I There were supposed to be these big rock monsters at the end, um, and, and he just the, didn't the, do any they of made. that. 
I think they even got to the point they made one that had like smoke and stuff coming out of it. Yeah, but they didn't get to but use it. They didn't have the budget to actually film using it. So he understands at least, and so I have to give him credit for that. But yeah, I didn't get the help I needed in allocating my budget. Yeah, that means you spend money okay, terribly. Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> he spent money getting horses on a desert planet and creating a three-breasted cat stripper. And yeah. pool that you play in water. Who plays pool in water? <laughs> you play pool in a pool. Come on. <laughs> Gosh, we haven't even talked about the absurdity of that opening set. The, the yeah. alien saloon on the galactic planet of peace. What? Hey, Star Wars is big. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically Moss Eisley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Everybody loved the cantina, so we have to do that in our movie, too. <laughs> And uh, like the the stories behind all this are that they wanted to build off the back of Next Generation being popular, Star Trek Four being popular, so they rushed some of this, but it went through huge numbers of rewrites and got muddier and muddier at every single one, and then they rushed the filming mm. and and said, right, you run out of money, do what you can with it, and put it together. Yeah, it it is what it is, but it still did get released in this way and. I feel like at least some trimming and some changing around, you could have done something with it. Who knows? Um, I quite like some of the filming. Some of the stuff he does, he uses a lot of like really wide shots, like taking in the whole room, the whole bridge, the whole of that galley set. He does some interesting things with light and dark. Um, particularly, I'm thinking those visions that the that you see shadows a lot in in them mm-hmm. to show this is kind of a vision. It's not quite real, and he does a lot of stuff with smoke. Like there's there's some nice artistic stuff going in. But when you get to the action, it's really just dull. Yeah. He did a documentary about season one of Next Gen called Chaos on the Bridge, which is quite interesting. Um, And he did a documentary called The Captains, which is basically all the leads of the Star Trek series and Chris Pine talking about playing the captain of the series. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Uh, And it really is. It's really good. It's very interesting. It's... Some of it is them talking about each other, talking about what came before them, talking about their show, talking about their approach to it, talking about how they worked together and contacted each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it as part of London Science, uh, London Sci-Fi Film Festival a few years ago. And I, if I can take a minute, I want to tell you my story from seeing this film. Please do. So I went with a friend, who my Trekkie friend, Chris, who I'm sure I've mentioned on every Star Trek show so far. Uh, hi, Chris. <laughs> and we were sat having a drink in the bar beforehand and there was a woman in a little sort of motorized cart thing, disabled woman, having a go at one of the members of staff and like calling her all sorts and just being pretty awful because something had gone wrong, something had happened. And, like this girl went off to sort something and this woman's just sat there like, they can't effing get it right, effing lame here, it's awful. It's like, okay, we're going to keep away from her. And then during the film, anytime Avery Brooks is on screen, he is slightly out there. Avery Brooks, I I've, I think it's described in the DS9 documentary, like, he talks as though he is jazz music. And, and oh. He's wonderful to watch. He's he's fascinating, but he is a little out there. Uh-huh. And as the film goes on, she starts mocking him. She's sat at the, in the very front row. She, there's obviously a space for disabled people, and she's parked a cart in there. And she starts, like, mocking him and saying, like, oh, this guy's a loony. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, it's him again. Oh. During and the movie? During the film. Oh, my God. And you can God. see people bristling, but it is also, it's like... You know, we can't shout at a disabled person, but also, you know, come on. And I, I was getting close to it. I was starting to think, like, I need to say something because this is, you know, it's not a huge cinema. It's showing a St- Star Trek documentary, so fine. 
And then the guy next to me, when she says something halfway through, he just goes, will you shut the F up, you see? Oh, my gosh. The the full words, obviously. And there is just silence from everyone for the rest of the film. Nice. (laughs) And I'm like, good on you. I wouldn't have been that harsh, but also, you know, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds horrifying. It really was. It's like, oh, crikey, you're both as bad as each other. I just want to watch the nice Star Trek film. Yeah. (laughs) Good film, though. Worth watching. Well, I have great news. It is available uh, to watch with Prime. It's included in Prime in the US. Oh, nice. So I will be watching that. Mandy, watch it after you've watched it DS9. Oh, let's spoil stuff for me? Yeah. Okay. Do I need to watch Enterprise 2 before I watch it? No. Okay. (laughs) No one needs to watch Enterprise. Okay. I'm sorry. I couldn't even say that without laughing. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Watch Enterprise because it's the best and most highly regarded of all Star Treks. I've been told that it ends terribly. I'll tell you what, actually, also, don't watch it until we've watched the films. Which films? All of them? The Star Trek films, yeah. Okay. How many more do we have? Five? Oh, gosh. Okay, it's going to be a while. I mean, eight when you count in the new ones. Well, I have seen the new ones, though, so... See you fine. See you fine. Let's at least watch the next two. All right. I'll give you that. Um... I've ranted about this film a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. Because, you know, there, there is good in here. It's trying for stuff. It's building up to stuff. And then it just... You're exactly right with that quote. There is no money for the ending. Yeah, it was a huge letdown. Hmm. Um, You mentioned about Nemesis. I did. Um, I, I've seen it. I don't entirely remember it. But I did see several people talk about it as if it were the worst Star Trek film, which is why I asked if that's where it ended up in the ranking. Um, And there was a quote that somebody said that I found was very interesting. It said, Nemesis is a well-made movie with no story. Star Trek V is a poorly made movie with a story. It's just that the story makes little sense. And I feel like that might be spot on. Mm, Interesting. I mean, because it is a poorly made movie and it goes back to no money, poor management of money. How about that? Yeah. Um, And the story has very small bones, but they're there. So there there is something there. It just, it needed space. Yeah. From what they gave it, I think. It has potential. I will give you that. Okay. I particularly wanted to mention it so that as and when we do get to Nemesis, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and again, maybe we wrap it up in and we watch two or three together. Um, we can then review and talk about like what we think of the differences between them. Okay. Because I, I think Nemesis is very similar to this. It, it's, oh no, it's not similar to this because it has the budget and it does some very big stuff. But what it chooses to do is poor. Hmm. And what it chooses not to focus on is good. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So we may, yeah, and we'll see if we get anyone with that. Hey, Jen, from Command of Your Own. Do you fancy coming to talking Nemesis? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have been, like, dragging this movie for the last, you know, 45 minutes or so. Yeah. Justifiably so. Do you have any favorite moments where there are things that did stand out to you as being particularly good? Yeah. There are moments in this, and particularly character moments, because they know these characters so well at this point. And they write them very, very well. I think the campfire stuff, both at the beginning, uh, at the end, but particularly at the beginning, is very well done. Um, 
the marshmallow dispenser, the discussions of having whiskey and this kind of thing is all very fun. The sing-along is a bit silly, but kind of fun. And then I just love McCoy's thing of like, God, I liked him better before he died. All right, all right, all right. Let's call it a night. Will you? Just let's let's, let's, let's go to bed and just let's get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I did chuckle. Mm. I, I said earlier, I like Spock doing what he can to save Kirk. Because that, damn you, sir, you will try. That That's quite strong, actually. That you wouldn't expect necessarily from Spock. Spock thinks his way out of the situation. This is him coercing someone to do what it takes. Right. Which is good. I like I, I do like the Enterprise not working properly. I think it really humanizes the future that we've always seen, which has always been perfect. It humanizes Starfleet, the fact they can make a ship that you know, made by the lowest bidder, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of it is to force them to use things like the shuttles and to sort of put fake things in the way of them achieving their goals. Otherwise, yeah, why don't they just beamed up at the end? Yeah. That kind of Well, thing. it's interesting because in previous movies, when it didn't work, it's because they destroyed it, like in yeah. battle. And Absolutely. this was just poor maintenance. Like, it, Scotty was overwhelmed. I don't know. It just, things were falling apart. Well, this is, this is the new ship that they get at the end of 4. Okay. So they literally just built this ship. But like I say, it's, it's the, the old joke of, you know, it's made by the lowest bidder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's not that good. And, and I, I quite like some of the humor they're making out of it. Um, on the flip side, however, we've not mentioned any of the original crew. That's, I think, the first mention of Scotty, who has probably the most to do with any of them in this. Chekhov and Sulu are largely missing. Um, and then what they give Uhura to do, I really wish they hadn't singing in the sand dunes thing yeah i will say she looked fabulous in this movie yeah but i wish that they had not made her an enticing siren to trap a captive audience Mm. and and up until that point everything she'd done had been quite good sort Mm -hmm. of telling people what to do going and getting people she's clearly holding her own Mm -hmm. um and then it's sexy singer Cool. Thanks, Star Trek. And um, then we don't see her again. Really? No, we have the moment with her and Scotty. Oh, that's right. But that's about it. I think I think you're absolutely right. We don't even get anything at the end. However, there is the moment with Scotty walking along saying, I know this ship like the back of my hand. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. And banging straight into an overhead. <laughs> right. Like, it's it's really obvious stuff. But it is actually very funny, and it's well delivered. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> just maybe. Um, and you talked about the whole thing with the visions and the fact it doesn't work on Kirk. And, and I do love his whole thing of, no, I need my pain. I need the things that I learn from to make me who I am. Mm-hmm. What have you done to my friends? I've done nothing. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. Jim, try to be open about this. About what? I've made the wrong choices in my life. If I turned left when I should have turned right. I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cyborg to take me on a tour of them. If you've just unbend and all... And be brainwashed by this con man. I was wrong. This con man took away my pain. 
Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. That that is a philosophy I can I can absolutely get behind and can understand. Like you do learn as you go through life, and you learn what to do and what not to do by the mistakes you make. Yes, I I like the sentiment and I like the potential. I didn't like the delivery. It was classic Shatner overacting, and so yeah, the words on their own are dramatic enough. They didn't need what he added to it. I think, and so mm. it really made me laugh more than anything else. Yeah, but. You're right. If you were just reading the script, great line. And, and I think it's nice in comparison to what they do for McCoy and Spock. Because I think it's implied that McCoy is much younger when he performed euthanasia on his own father. Mm -hmm. But but they're saying that is a thing that has haunted him. Both that he had to do that thing and that he that there was a cure sometime shortly after. So it's always been a driving force for him. But you can see that being a driving force for a caregiver in that way for a doctor to wanting to do the most for his patients because he knows there's always a cure just around the corner there's always a way of resolving it you don't just give up yeah it reminds me of in the last movie doctor gave me a pill and my kidney grew back yeah <laughs> yeah he does whatever he can for anyone even if it means messing up the timeline yeah exactly um and, and for spock for it to be his father's rejection of him disappointment in him from an early age i mean they've always done spock and his father but for that to be a thing that has driven him but yeah, here's I the thing I, like I actually well, don't know that that is the thing that has driven him i think that's the thing that cyborg thinks has driven him because of spock's reaction to it spock's reaction was you don't know me anymore like i know who i am i've worked through all of this stuff now and I thought that was interesting because it, it made mm. me wonder what the driving force behind the visions was. If that's not the thing that causes Spock the most pain, where did it come from? Yeah. Well, it must come from the person because there's no way he could have known what McCoy's was. Well, that's fair. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If If Spock has done his time in therapy and gotten over it and had managed to deal with it, yeah, showing him this thing would make him go, yeah, no, I, I understand. That's a very hard thing for me, but I own it, and mm -hmm. it, it is part of me, and I wrap myself up into it, in a similar way that Kirk is saying. You know, what, what are they going to show Kirk? Let's let's say it's similar to the Kelvin timeline, it's the death of, death of his father, or death, death of his brother, or something like that. He would go, yeah, and that pain is a driving force to make me be all I can be. Right. And I, I do enjoy that sequence. I think it is very well done. Sadly, it goes straight into, and now we're going through this thing that might kill us. Ink blots in the sky. But we're all friends again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now I've defended this film. Mm -hmm. You have been pretty brutal. Yeah. Do you have anything that you took out and went, oh, okay, yeah, that was cool. Okay, my very, very favorite thing was mm. the use of my most recognizable Star Trek theme song. <laughs>
Okay. It was beautiful, and I loved it. And that's one of the things I've complained about in other movies is either the theme song was missing or they waited until, like, have, like in the motion picture, they waited to put it in so that it would be yeah. more impactful when we heard it. Um, I think it wasn't in for at all. And so, like, as soon as I heard those opening notes, I was like, yes, this is Star Trek, and I love it. And it's beautiful. Mm. So there's that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, and then, oddly enough, both of my other good moments are Kirk moments. Okay. Um, after they land on the alien planet to go meet God, mm. Cybok says something ridiculous, and Kirk just gives him this look. And it is <laughs> the most amazing what look ever. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed that. Because Kirk's not usually great at that kind of subtlety. Like, usually his face would be in, like, this massive O of surprise or something, and he didn't do that in this instance, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And then <laughs> when they are actually confronted with God, quote, unquote, God, God yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and he's like, I need your starship so I can get out of here. And, and Kirk is just immediately like, excuse me, and he raises his hand. I have a question. Excuse me. It will carry my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Bring the ship closer. I said, what does God need with a starship? <laughs> it's wonderful, you know, and for him to yeah. immediately be like, why does God need a starship? It was great. But the the excuse me raising his hand was... Yeah really what sold that line and sold that moment mm. it was a great character moment i i feel like they've learned from the next generation at that point because that is more a picard resolution than a kirk resolution i mean yes there is a dusty ring of rocks but there's no fighting in the dust which is how kirk solves everything mm. it is questioning the situation to logic it out and get a resolution to understand what's going on yeah, you're right. Kirk is not the most logical of captains. No. He is very passionate and of the moment. Mm. And that is not what he did here. But it was great. And they've always portrayed him as smart and as capable. But the fact that it is him actually going, what does God need with a starship? Yeah. That then starts proving, like, you know, why would God hurt someone for his own pleasure? and. I, I like it. I think that works as well. If this thing is pretending to be God and that's the thing that pulls him out, great. Just the rest of the sequence is poor. Yeah. Yeah. So if if I were dismantling this movie and mm. deciding what to keep and what to throw out, I would keep the theme song. Okay. I would keep Kirk saying, excuse me, raising his hand and saying, I have a question. Everything else I'd rewrite and reshoot. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably this fair. Is, this is bad. Mm. I didn't expect it to be bad. I really didn't. Because okay. Star Trek Three doesn't get slated. I mean, it is a good film, but because this film then came out, and I feel like from my understanding of, the, of what the discussion was at the time, this was going to be a, this will either prove or destroy the idea that odd-numbered Star Treks are bad. And it then proves the idea... So that's why Star Trek 3 gets talked down a bit. 
Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But but one one is not great. One could do a lot better. This is an actively bad film. So it, people like patterns, and I feel like that pattern gets taken up. All right, that's fair. And it's very clear from the feedback we got, because, you know, we asked for feedback on Star Trek 4. Lots of thoughts about whales, ecology, humour, going back to the 1980s, all this kind of thing. Star Trek 5, everyone went... <sighs> Crickets. Yeah. Nobody wanted to talk about this one. <laughs> And, and and absolutely, there was not even a thing of us inviting someone on because you don't want someone to come on defending this when I know that we are going to want to take it apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Star Trek V? Star Trek V. <laughs> I make myself laugh. It's fine. I know. Do you have any expectations for Star Trek VI? <laughs> VI. <laughs> um... Is six your favorite? Yes. Okay. So that gives me high hopes. Oh, dear. Um, Here's the thing. I feel like from a pure numbers game, my expectations have to be high because I've loved four out of five movies. Okay. Right? I mean, that's an 80% average. So Hmm. it it can't be as bad as this one, particularly if you love it. Okay. And I have consistently really enjoyed the movies people thought I wouldn't in this franchise. <laughs> you are a contrary creature. Except for this one. <laughs> so I I have high hopes that they learned from this and we get something really good. Okay. So we'll, right. well, we'll we, see what we, happens. We will see when we get there. Absolutely. I am I am looking forward to finally getting there. Maybe sooner rather than later. Okay. Because yeah. I'd like to scrub this one from my brain and, and have good Star Trek memories. <laughs> Fine. We will we will get it scheduled in. And I'm not at the great parts of DS9 yet to let that do it for me, so. Yeah, get to the end of season two and you're, you're sorted. I'm getting there. I'm in the middle of yeah. season two now, so. Yeah, you're almost there. Okay. If you do want to join in the conversation, if we've said anything about Star Trek V that you want to defend, that you think we should follow it up on, you think we should discuss more, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eloquentgushing. You can email us, podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or leave a voice message, speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. And Pop Culturally Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give, even $1 a month, will give you access to exclusive content. And it also will help to support our network, this show, and any new shows that we want to develop. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And maybe be on the lookout for some new rewards being added. Mm, interesting. Yeah. We will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Twilight 2, Twilight Harder. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up talking to myself. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.